All right. Always good to have that music that we sing, wonderful music. This morning we're going to look at the nature of Christ's death. As you know, this is Communion Sunday, and as I, as I was prayerfully considering this week what, what I, the Lord would have me to preach on today, I, I was, uh, God just seemed to give me this, this desire to speak on the death of Christ, to look into it more deeply. Uh, you know, it's something I think each of us to some degree has, you know, has some, you know, has a pretty good knowledge of what Christ did on the cross as he died in our place, but this morning, we're just going to look a little more deeply, and, and hopefully, you know, God will show us some things that you know, can even encourage us more about, about what the Lord has done. Uh, you know, we, it's so easy to just be comfortable with the facts, and it doesn't really affect our lives. You know, as you think about Christ's death, how often are we supposed to think about Christ's death? Every, every day, take up your cross daily and follow him. And I think part of that is, is remembering again what Christ has done for us. And, you know, we celebrate the communion service, you know, once a month on the first Sunday of the month. And hopefully that's, you know, you've, uh, last month wasn't the last time you thought about the death of Christ. But this morning, we're just going to look at the nature of Christ's death. And hopefully uh, we can gain some things from this. I pray the Holy Spirit would guide us and to help us understand uh, more, more deeply what the Lord has done. But let's, let's go ahead and pray together. Ask for his blessing in this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you that he left the glories of heaven. We thank you for his virgin birth. We thank you for his sinless life. We thank you for his righteous life, that he fulfilled all righteousness, always did what was right, and kept the law. And Lord, we thank you that he died in our place. And we, we thank you that he was willing to go through all the suffering and the pain and the agony for us. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would not become callous to it, that we would not just grow used to it and, and it doesn't affect us anymore. Lord, I pray this would move us deeply. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would guide us into understanding as we look at what Jesus did. We thank you that he is our Savior. We thank you for his death, his, the blood he shed. We thank you for his substitutionary atonement on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. It has so much to say. We thank you for the four Gospels, four different perspectives and accounts of the life of Christ and his death and all that he did. And we are so blessed. But Lord, we just pray that you would use me as only you can. Lord, may I only say the things that would please you. May we be open to the message of your Word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The nature of Christ's death. Well, as you think about the entirety of Scripture, you know, we, we're so blessed to have, you know, the 66 books of the Bible that we have. They all point to Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the, the theme of Scripture. He is the central figure, the main character of the Bible. He's preeminent above all. And really, uh, his, his mission was our salvation. And when he came to earth and eventually when he died, that was... That, that, that's why he came. The cross was necessary. He came to earth ultimately to, to die. There are some who believe he came just to, you know, to, to teach and, to, and to, to tell us the truth or to, you know, to set a good example of how to love other people. And those things are true, and that's included in Scripture, but he came to die. He came to be our sacrifice to pay for the, the sin that, that we rightly should be paying for for all eternity. You know, just some verses that come to mind here. Uh, Luke 19.10, the theme, the theme verse of Luke, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his purpose. Jesus said to the twelve disciples, the Son of Man, in Matthew 20.28, 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. John the Baptist said when you know, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River and he sees Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 uh, Peter, one of the disciples, said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.18. That's why he came. So today we look at, his, at the nature of his death. Uh, first, the first point this morning is his death is, was natural. His death was natural. He was, his was a real death because Jesus Christ was really a person. He was fully human. He's, he was just as human during his time on this earth as you and I are. He was just as human, 100% human. He died as a man. Yet the mystery is, simultaneously, he, he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time as he walked the face of this earth. But when he died on the cross, he, he died as a man. It was a natural death. Now, there was a, a heresy going around in the first century. Maybe you've heard of it, Gnosticism. And Paul addressed this in some of his letters. But they, the Gnostics, they believed in this higher learning, this higher understanding. And they, they believed that physical matter was evil. What you could touch, what you could see was evil. And only the spiritual was good. And so they, you know, they would say things like, Jesus wasn't actually a man, but he, was, he, just, he just looked like a man. He appeared to be a man. So you know, they, they denied his miracles. They denied his, his death, his resurrection, his deity, really. They said, you know, when he was... Supposedly on the cross, he just appeared to be dying on the cross, but didn't really die. And what, a, what a heresy. He was fully man. I want you to turn to John chapter 1, if you would. We're going to be, 
looking at several verses in really all four Gospels this morning, jumping around in God's Word. John 1, starting at verse 9, here you have the Apostle John. John 1, 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It, you stop right there for a minute. He, you, know, you can see how these false teachers and these, these Gnostics would take even a passage like this and say, yeah, Christ wasn't fully man. I mean, he, he came into the world, he, you know, he was here, but it doesn't say he was man. But look at verse 14, I think it puts it to rest. And the word, that's another title of Christ, became what? Flesh. He became flesh. He was fully man. He became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was flesh. You and I are flesh. He was flesh. Um, he died this, this natural death. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians. And I read some verses from this chapter at the beginning of the service, but a little bit earlier in Philippians 2, Paul addresses this. Sorry, verse 7. Philippians 2, 7. Well, actually, it's back up a little ways. Let's, let's go back to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by be becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. So yes, he was in the likeness of men. He was... He was in human form. He, he was fully man. He was 100% man. One more passage to look at here. 1 John 1. Here you have John the Apostle again in his first letter. He begins with this very concept because it's so important. Was Christ actually man? If, if he wasn't man, he couldn't die in our place. He couldn't have been our Savior. John, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, here he's talking about Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our, with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So we've touched him. He was a person. The life was manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and it was made manifest to us. But here he begins this letter. He's saying Jesus Christ was man. He was fully man. Uh, if he was not a man, he could not have died for men. 
as their Savior. So praise the Lord. His death was natural. But the second point is his death was unnatural. His death was unnatural. Yes, he was fully man, but by, by this I mean he, his death was uh, abnormal. It was unique. It was not according to the laws of, of nature, of how uh, the rule why people die. Why, why do we as human beings die? Why don't we live forever? Well, it's one word, sin. We sin, and sin must be paid for. Our sin carries with it judgment and consequences. And the Bible is very clear. Each of us is born a sinner. We are born in sin, and then as we live our lives, we demonstrate that's true. We all sin. But Jesus Christ, he, he didn't sin. He was completely sinless. Uh, you know, he, he didn't bring upon himself the judgment of death, the, the consequences of sin. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. And we, and we bring that upon ourselves. Um, but Jesus Christ, absolutely sinless as a man, uh, Hebrews 4.15, in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin, the writer of Hebrews says. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Isaiah 53.9, there it says he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet the Bible tells us he became sin for us. He, he willingly uh, and lovingly accepted our sin on his account. And he died in our place. So in that sense, his death was unnatural. He wasn't dying a death that he, that he deserved. He died the death that we deserve. The third, this might be a new word for you, his death was preternatural. Uh, it, it was meaning it was planned. It didn't just happen in the, the normal course of life. He didn't, just, he didn't just get old and die. Or it, his death wasn't something that just, was, it just happened in the normal course of events. It was foreordained. It was precisely planned by the Father, even before the foundation of the world, which... If you're like me, that completely boggles your, your mind. How, how could this be? Even before Genesis 1 took place and the creation began, God the Father knew that there would be sin. And all mankind would have this sin problem. And, and the solution was Jesus Christ and his death. And this was planned. 1 Peter 1.20 says he was foreknown, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in these last times. Before the foundation of the world, this, this was all planned out. And it was foreknown. It was not only Christ, but his, his work, including his death. So it was preternatural. But then I want to spend most of the time on the fourth point. It was supernatural. His death 
on the cross was supernatural. It was different. His death was different from any other death that has ever occurred or ever will occur. His death is completely unique. And several points we'll look at here in the Gospels. First, we see his power. And we see that in John 18. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 18. Letter A there, his, his power. But John 18, starting at verse 4, this is, this is before his death. Here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, this is when Judas, the betrayer, comes with the, with the soldiers and the high priests and the Pharisees. They come to arrest Jesus. And this is, you know, the, the night before his death. This is after the Last Supper. This is late at night. Verse 4 of John 18, Then Jesus, knowing that all would, that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, to this large crowd, this angry mob who comes to arrest him, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. I am he. Here, in this whole account, in this passage here, he shows his power. He says, I am, and I just love it. It's an allusion to the, the name of God in the Old Testament. I am. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, says in verse 6, I am he, look what happened. They drew back and fell to the ground. This, this mob, this group of people, they, they fell down. Why would they fall down? Why would they fall to the ground and draw back? I think it's because they sense the power of God. They sense the power of God in Jesus Christ. Um, they, they were overwhelmed by his majesty and his power. Uh, they, they were aware of it. And they just, here they were in the presence of the creator of the universe, the God of all creation in human form, at that point, I don't know what it was. I mean, he wasn't in brilliant glory as on the Mount of Transfiguration, but there's a sense of power here, and they fall to the ground. And at this point, Jesus, I mean, if he wanted to, he could have just walked away. He, he's in control. Well, go on there, verse 7. He asked them again. This, this is amazing. He, he, he could have just left, but he, he asked them again, because he knows this is the Father's plan, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And so he, he willingly submits, even though he has this awesome power. And those who came to arrest him fell to the ground in awe of him. He willingly submits to these people and allows himself to be led. Look, look down at verse 13. Well, 12, let's start at verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas and so on, but they, they led him. He was willing to be led. His power, but his humility as well. But His power, second point here is his his strength. 
Turn, if you would, to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. And there are many parallel accounts here of the crucifixion. And I'm thankful for that. Matthew 27, verse, well, let's back up to 45. Now, this, from the sixth hour, that's noon, because they started keeping time, or their day started at 6 a.m. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then look down at verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now here, how long had Christ been on the, on, on the cross at this point? Well, it says, well, at this point, I believe it's six hours. He's been there for six hours. And the cross is such a cruel device of death. I mean, you, you know, of course, the nail piercings in his hands or his wrists and his nailed at the feet. You have to lift yourself up for every single breath uh, to remain alive. And it's a cruel agonizing way to die. And, you know, it's, it's a slow death. But here, after six hours, he still, he, he cries out with a loud voice. It's not just a whimper. It's not, you know, he, he's in terrible pain. Cruci excruciating pain. But here, he cries out with a loud voice. We see his strength. Uh, this is just before he dies. He cries out twice with a loud voice. His strength had not failed him. Uh, and then letter C, the third aspect I want to bring to mind here is, is his mind. His mind. Turn, if you would, to John 19. John chapter 19 Here he's been on the cross for six hours. And he knows that here in just a matter of minutes, just a matter of moments, he will give up his spirit. He will die. But he knows the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he knows there's a prophecy yet un unfulfilled as to his crucifixion. Uh, John... 19 to 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, meaning he was just about to, to completely die and, and give up his spirit, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Here, Jesus knows Scripture so well. And he, he knows of this prophecy in Psalm 69, verse 21, how the psalmist in the psalm prophesies, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to, to drink. And this is a prophecy of the crucifixion. And here he's been on the cross for six hours, 
He knows his time is almost up. He's almost about to say it is finished. That's the next verse. But he, he knows this. And so he, he, in his excruciating physical agony, uh, he sees this jar of wine. And he, he knows, hey, there's this prophecy. It has to be fulfilled. And so he says, I thirst, knowing that this was necessary. His mind was still alert. He was, he was with it. Uh, Knowing, you know, knowing they would bring him some, and then he could finally die. Uh, so he's, his mind is supernaturally fully intact during the crucifixion. And let, letter D here, his, his head as well. Let me look at that next verse. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And notice what he does. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's significant. He bows his head. He's been hanging on the cross, dying for six hours. And here, when he, he says it is finished, then he bows his head. I, I think up to this point, his head was erect. It was upright. You know, he wasn't just flailing around in agony with a, a head flopping everywhere and his body out of control, as some certainly you know, were as they died. He was in control of his body. And here, when he finally gives up the spirit, when he says it is finished, he bows his head and shows his control. Uh, his composure, I think, is something awesome to behold. You know, if you just, if you search for, you know, pictures of Christ on the cross, if you look at a crucifix, you always see Christ's head bowed, or his head just hanging there. But I think, you know, for that whole time he was dying. His head was upright. He was looking at, at those who were killing him. He was in control of his body. Um, and then I want you to note his spirit as well, his spirit. Luke 23. Verse 46. Luke 23, 46. Uh, when he's about to, to die here, he's, and then Jesus, in verse 46, calling out with, again, with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. That's, that's pretty amazing. He's in full control. He's allowing this to happen to him. The, the torture, the pain, the agony. The mocking, the scorn, all these things. Here, at, when just, when the, at just the right moment, he's, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. He, was, he allowed the life to leave him. His spirit left. He was in perfect control of his life, of his spirit. In John 10, 17 and 18, 
John 10, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, Christ says, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Um, No one but Christ can do this. He's in full, full control. He has full authority. Here they, you know, the, the Romans, these Jews that hate him, they feel like they're killing this false teacher, this heretic. Yet he is allowing himself to go through this. He, he says, into, my hand, or into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, this is similar to, to Stephen. Later on in scriptures, you read about him in Acts 7, the first martyr of the Christian church. And he, after preaching that sermon in Acts 7, and he's, he's, you know, the crowd is, the angry mob is so upset that they, they stone him. And just before death, he sees the heavens opened. He sees God. And he says in Acts 7.59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And I'm sure he knew well of what Christ had said, but even Stephen here as a, as a Christian did not have control of his body to be able to just you know, allow his life to leave him. He, he prayed for Christ to, re- to, to receive his spirit, but Jesus in- intentionally here just, he gave it up and it was done. The perfect control. Turn, if you would, over to John 19. We see another aspect here. His legs, or you could maybe even say his bones. John 19. Here he had been on the cross six hours. He, he died at precisely the right moment. But John 19, 31 to 33, says this, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might, take, you know, they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. The crucifixion was such a horrible way to die. And as I already mentioned, the the nails, having to lift yourself up for every breath, but there, you know, there's a lot of blood, but there's no major organs that are affected. They, they don't pierce your heart or any major organs. So it's really, it was designed by the Romans to be a long, drawn-out death. And it, it, often people would die for two or three days on the cross. I mean, you just imagine that. But here, because the, the Sabbath... Be, began at sundown, or about you know at six o'clock or so, or when the sun went down, and the Sabbath was about to begin. They wanted 
to make sure these crosses were, you know, these people were removed from the crosses. And they were amazed that Jesus, after six hours, was already dead. Now, he was tortured uh, so cruelly. But here, here he, Jesus knew there was yet another prophecy. That had he continued on breathing and living, they would have had to break his legs. To, to make it impossible to lift themselves up and they would have to die. The prophecy in Psalm 34, 20 says he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. It's, it's a prophecy of the crucifixion. How there would be no broken bones. And, and Jesus knew this. He knew precisely the right time, not only to ask for, you know, you, you to say, I'm thirsty, I thirst. But he also knew, hey, I need to commit my spirit to the Father. And I need to say it is finished. You know, I need to, my life needs to be over at just the right time before they come around to try to break the bones of the legs of, of us. He, he knew precisely the right time. That just amazes me. And that's, you see the, the majesty and the authority of Christ here. And so he died. No, no broken bones. That's, that's not just a coincidence. The timing is perfect. And then the last thing, Matthew 27, the last thing I want to draw right now is the, the phenomena. The phenomena. Here the, the creator of heaven and earth is dying on this cruel Roman cross. The author of life is being put to death. In Matthew 27, here 51 to 53, there's some phenomena that takes place. Now we've already uh, looked at it, and actually if you look at Back to verse 45. Remember this, he's, for the last three hours, from noon to three o'clock. From the, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Imagine that. In the middle of the day, it's dark. This is, that, that's a supernatural thing. The father has turned his back on the son. But look at verse 51. Verses 51 to 53. The supernatural phenomena here that take place. And behold, this is right after he dies. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who have fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Well, there's some amazing things happening here. I mean, not only is the Savior of all mankind dying on the cross, people didn't realize it for what it was at the time, but to, to experience the darkness in the middle of the day, I'm sure would get people's attention. But then you also have the, the curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom, 
you know, a hand from heaven. This is the work of God. He, he divides and rips open that, that barrier that stood between mankind and God. And you know, the significance is now we can, we can go to God anytime. We don't have to go through a priest. We can have a relationship with God. From top to bottom, this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, it was, you know, from, from the people, it was, scholars think it was at least six inches thick. I mean, this is a six to nine inches thick, and it was, it was tall. Uh, I forget how tall it was, 15 or 20 feet. I mean, it was, God ripped it. It was torn. It was torn or rent in two from top to bottom. But then you have in verse 51 there, the earth shook. There was an earthquake. The earth shook. Now, was this just an intense localized earthquake? Maybe. We don't know. In some of the resources I looked at, there are some scholars that believe at this moment, because of who was dying and what was happening, the Savior of all mankind, the author of life, was, had just died. Earth itself shook on its axis. I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. What, what would happen if Earth would just shake? I think that's what happened here. It said the Earth shook. And the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened. The, the, you know, the bodies of the saints, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And here they, they come out and they make appearances. I mean, here you have these dead saints who people knew who had believed in, in Christ. They, they're walking around the city, walking around Jerusalem. Why would this take place? What's the point? Well, here you, th you think about the believers at that time. Where, where were the disciples? Where were these, you know, even the women who followed Christ? They were in disbelief. They were questioning. They were questioning everything. Was Jesus really the Messiah? He's gone. Look, he's being embarrassed. He's being mocked on this cross. I think the first thing is it was to strengthen the faith of the believers. Here are these, these believers who had died. You know, maybe some of them, it could have been John the Baptist. You know, maybe it was one of them. Went around and appeared to people. And maybe to strengthen their faith. That, hey, Jesus just died and he purchased salvation. And he's going to rise again in three days. Um, but it's, I think it was also to show that Satan's power over death and hell were defeated. And here you have these saints in the tombs, they come out and you know, showing that, you know, Satan, you don't really have any power. You can't even keep these, these dead believers in the, in the grave. Uh, Jesus is all-powerful, and he's defeated death and hell. It's a fulfillment, I think, of Genesis 3.15, the, the head of the serpent was bruised. Um, so look at verse 54 here just in, in closing. I think as you 
consider all these aspects. And there are more. I mean, we could have spent even more time looking at different aspects. But look at verse 54. When the centurion, here this is not even a Jew. This is a, a Roman Gentile. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. Can you, can you say that this, this morning? As you look at Jesus Christ and what he accomplished, can you say with the centurion, truly this was the Son of God? I hope every one of us says that and, and believes that. Jesus was a man like no other. He, he was, was and is God. And he died this death in our place. And all the, all the phenomena, all the power, all the control, he exhibited all the way through his death and this experience. He, he demonstrates that he is the Son of God. That's, that's exciting. That's amazing. He died a real physical death. He died in our place. He died for me. He died for you. It was the, the Father's perfect plan from before the foundation of the world. And it was unique in so many ways. Um, truly, truly this was the Son of God. I hope today as you sit here, you, you can say that. You know, I wonder if, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why did he have to die? He died to pay the punishment for your sin. You see, every sin that we commit, every sin we commit, will have to be paid for. There's no sin we commit that's without consequence or without judgment. And you have two options, either... Either you believe in Jesus Christ and say like this centurion, truly this was the Son of God. I mean, that's a declaration of faith right there. And you, you believe Jesus is Lord and you ask him to be your Savior, he will save you. And Jesus paid the punishment for your sin. But if you, if you reject Christ and just want to live your own life, the Bible is clear that when... Your time on earth is over. You'll, you'll go directly to hell. And for all eternity, you will pay the punishment for your sin. For all the sins you've committed. That's your two options. You, you can enjoy heaven by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and calling on him to save you and realizing he died in your place. Or you can, you can bear your own punishment and your own sin. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's Lord? Do you believe he died on the cross to pay for your sin? The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it's, it's, you don't have to understand every aspect of theology, every minute detail of doctrine, but you have to believe that Jesus is Lord and, and he died in your place. And ask him to save your soul, and he will. It's a simple faith. 
and it's, it's permanent as well. So if, if you have questions this morning about whether or not you're saved, I encourage you to, to find me afterward or find one of the elders, and we'd love to show you from the Word of God for sure how, how you can be saved. But it's, it's very simple. Faith in Christ. So choose to repent and believe in Him as your Savior. Maybe choose to thank Him for His substitutionary death. Thank Him for it. As you live your life, praise Him for His death and what He did. And then maybe choose to live for Him until we meet Him someday. You know, it's just amazing to think about His death and all that He accomplished for us. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the sacrifice of Christ. As he died in my place, he died in, in our place. Lord, he, he bore the sins of all mankind on the tree. And Lord, we, we thank you and praise you for the salvation he purchased, for the forgiveness that is now offered to all of us. We can be right with you. We thank you and praise you. May we, may we believe in you as, as our Lord and Savior. May we live lives of thanksgiving and obedience. Lord, may, may you be pleased with our lives. Lord, I pray that even in the communion service to follow, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified as we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.